Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome if you're online or if you're here in the building this morning. Last fall, we began a series of messages called Passing the Baton, and I gave you this image of the relay race and a baton that gets passed between the runners. And we talked about how important it is not to fumble it, not to mishandle it, not to drop it. And this idea of what we're passing on, we related it to the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the interplay between the generations. And we did eight messages before Christmas, and now we're going to continue in the story for another seven messages together. And we looked at how the generations were interacting. And at times, they demonstrated mind-boggling faith and just an incredible dependence on God. And we learned in the most practical of ways how to live a God-honoring life. But we also saw at times from them, times when they would just fail in spectacular fashion. And we learned what not to do and some bad examples from them as well. And the question I invited you to be asking yourself as we consider this grandfather, this dad, and this son, these three generations, is as I walk with Jesus, what am I passing on. Let's pray. Father, as we look into your word, we invite you to speak to us in the most personal of terms. Today is an intensely practical passage of scripture that just speaks to us about real life. So would you, would you speak into my heart? Would you speak into each one of our hearts, whether we're here or online? And we do this now for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today, How do we go about discovering God's will for our life? How do we go about looking in a specific situation and say, God, what would you have me do? Because at the heart of the message of this book is that God wants what's best for us. He has good intentions for us. He loves us. Jesus died for us. He has a purpose and a plan for us, and he wants what's best for us. And so if you have your Bible or your device, turn with me to Genesis chapter 24 as we continue this series of messages. Debbie's going to either use your hard copy or your device. Debbie's going to read a number of verses for us from Genesis chapter 24, and she's just going to be reading selected verses, not the entire chapter. Follow along today as we talk about the matchmaker. And find a wife there for my son Isaac. For the Lord has settled. He made the camels kneel beside a well just outside the town. It was evening and the women were coming out to draw water. O oh Lord, God of my master Abraham, he prayed, please give me success today and show unfailing love to my master, Abraham. See, I am standing here beside this spring, and the young women of the town are coming out to draw water. This is my request. I will ask one of them, please give me a drink from your jug. If she says, yes, have a drink, and I will water your camels too. 
Let her be the one you have selected as Isaac's wife. This is how I will know that you have shown unfailing love to my master. Before he finished praying, he saw a young woman named Rebecca coming out with her water jug on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, who was the son of Abraham's brother Nahor and his wife Milcah. Rebecca was very beautiful and old enough to be married, but she was still a virgin. She went down to the spring and filled her jug and came up again. Running over to her, the servant said, Please give me a little drink from your jug. Yes, my lord, she answered. Have a drink. And she quickly lowered her jug from her shoulder and gave him a drink. When she had given him a drink, she said, I'll water your camels too until they have had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jug into the watering trough and ran back to the well to draw water for all his camels. The servant watched her in silence, wondering whether or not the Lord had given him success in his mission. Then at last, when the camels had finished drinking, he took out a gold ring for her nose and two large gold bracelets for her wrists. Whose daughter are you? he asked. And please tell me, would your father have any room to put us up for the night? I am the daughter of Bethuel, she replied. My grandparents are Nahor and Milcah. Yes, we have plenty of straw and feed for the camels, and we have room for guests. The servant bowed low and worshipped the Lord. Praise the Lord, God of my master Abraham. The Lord has shown unfailing love and faithfulness to my master, for he has led me straight to my master's relatives. The next verse is Abraham relays the story to Rebekah's family. And uh, her brother Laban and her father Bethuel reply with this. The Lord has obviously brought you here, so there is nothing we can say. Here is Rebekah. Take her and go. Yes, let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has directed. So they called Rebekah. Are you willing to go with this man, they asked her. And she replied, yes, I will go. The following verses, they say goodbye to family and travel to Canaan. One evening, as Isaac was walking and meditating in the fields, he looked up and saw the camels coming. When Rebekah looked up and saw Isaac, she quickly dismounted from her camel. Who is that man walking through the fields to meet us? She asked the servant, and he replied, It is my master. So Rebekah covered her face with her veil. Then the servant told Isaac everything he had done. So Isaac brought Rebekah into his mother Sarah's tent, and she became his wife. He loved her deeply, and she was a special comfort to him after the death of his mother. How do we know what God wants us to do in life? And from this passage in particular, what does God have to say about who and if we should marry? Again, I remind you, 
God is on our side. God wants what's absolutely best for us, nothing less than that. And as long as you keep that in mind, that's a key thing to remember. God may say to you, and we see this in other places in Scripture, and I've said this before, I call on you to remain single. And that is good. That is a gift from God that is indicated and acknowledged by God that's every bit as normal as being married. You are equally loved, equally valued, equally respected by your heavenly father, and you keep good company with the Lord Jesus when you do that as well. And so Abraham shares God's plan with his CEO, with the man that's in charge of all his operations, his right-hand man, And he sends him off on a long journey to his home stomping grounds to see this fervent prayer answered. And the man goes and he prays fervently and he says, help me find Lord, the woman my master, my master's son, Isaac should marry. And of course, this is at a time in history and in a part of the world, which still take place at parts of, in parts of our world where marriages were arranged. And so he goes on this journey, and in verse 14, he says, let that be the girl that gives me a drink, but also offers to water my camels. Now, you can go on the internet, and there's different information, but camels, let's bear in mind, drink a lot of water. There's 10 camels. And the stuff that I can find out suggests that they will drink, if they're thirsty, anywhere from 20 to 30 gallons of water at a crack. An average jar that she could carry on her shoulder holds approximately two gallons, which weighs around 17 pounds. And so if this is all true, that would mean she would have to draw and go to the well and bring out water in the, to the tune of 100 to 150 jars of water. This is desert-like environment. And even though it's towards the evening, it's still hot. She probably worked at least two hours, very, very hard to do this thing. And it showed some stuff about her. This is an incredibly humble young woman. This is an incredibly hardworking young woman who had a servant's heart. And so the servant is praying and he's saying, Lord, show me specifically who this person should be to honor my master who has walked with you. And along comes Rebecca. And it says that as these things are unfolding, the servant is watching her and observing closely, trying to know, is this the person that God has chosen for my master's son, Isaac? And he begins to ask her further questions to determine, is she a believer in the God of the Bible or not? What is her lineage? What is her family background? What is her relationship with Jehovah God like? Is she a follower of the God of the Bible? And when she says yes to all of these things, in verses 26 and 27, he stops and he begins to worship God. God, you have answered my prayer supernaturally, like it talked about in verse 7, that an angel would go ahead and arrange these things. 
You have led me specifically, supernaturally, to a beautiful, eligible, hardworking, humble follower of the God of the Bible, a Christian. This is an incredible story of God's direction in a humble, open-minded person's life. Let me ask you, do you think God could do something like that for you? Maybe in the area of marriage, but what about in any area of life? He absolutely can. He absolutely can. This passage shows us this. We could read so many other stories in scripture that tells us this. And I will tell you from my life, I have seen this over and over and over and over and over again. Our God can be trusted to do what's right, to do what's holy, to do what's best, if we're willing to receive this. In the opening verses of this chapter, Abraham says in verse seven, he gives this prophetic word, God is going to send his angel in order to find the right woman for my son to marry. He amplifies this again as they're retelling the story to the family members. In verse 40, Abraham, uh, the servant says, this is what Abraham says, the Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and make your journey a success. And make your journey a success. How can he make such bold statements beforehand? Well, in verse 40, as I just read, it says that he walked with God. And he understood that God had his best in mind, as I'm going to keep saying to you. And this let me, read, let me read some verses that kind of amplify this thought a little bit. So in Psalm 37, some of my favorite verses, verses three to seven, it says this, trust in the Lord and do good. In other words, be in the center of how God has directed you. Dwell in the land. Be in healthy relationship with God. This is the imagery they're portraying. Enjoy safe pasture. Enjoy your relationship with God. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteousness, in other words, you're living a holy life. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause, like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. When we are obedient, when we live a holy life, when we trust in God, when we know what he has to say on a specific issue, when we have a relationship of joy with him, when we walk with him like Abraham did, this passage says our desires will increasingly line up with the desires of God's heart, and then he will give us the desires of our heart. And this is the place where Abraham was. These are the lessons he's passing down to his son Isaac and to the generations to come. I have walked with God. I am ready to hear from God. That's very important. I am ready to follow God's leading. I am ready to do whatever God says. And this is his motivation. This is what's fueling his heart desire. And so I ask you an absolutely crucial question. 
when it comes to this. Why do you want to know God's will? Why do you want to know? Because there can be a number of answers that. There's only one right answer, but there can be a number of answers because some people secretly want to know God's will so they can put that amongst a series of options that they're entertaining. Well, I'll just see if God's will for me is something I can understand, I can get my head around, if it's something I want to do, and I'll entertain his will unless something better in my mind comes along. The only way this works is when we make a very serious decision, and the decision is this, I have no other options. I will do God's revealed will without hesitation. I will move towards it deliberately. In a sense, I will run towards it, period. And as soon as I start to entertain the idea that there's multiple options, there's trouble. And it doesn't work. Ask yourself the question, has God specifically said anything about whatever the issue is that's in front of you? You've heard me say this often, and it's absolutely true. The word of God directly speaks to most things in life, by far. Sometimes it's more indirect, but the word of God, God has good purposes for us. God has good plans for us. I remind you that he wants what's best for us. And when we are walking with our heart aligned with his, this is the best way to do life, even if it's difficult, and it will be difficult at times. When it comes to who we marry, there is so much in Scripture that is absolutely clear. No ambiguity whatsoever. So he says to his chief servant, his CEO, Uh, go find a wife from my son, from not from among the Canaanites. And there's nothing prejudicial going on here. No, he's saying they worship other gods. They have nothing to do with us and our priorities in life. No, go to the people of God, the ones that believe in God, the ones that are followers of the God of the Bible, the God of Jehovah, the ones that are his followers and find a wife for my son there. Why did he say that? The scriptures are absolutely clear that a believer should only marry a believer. There's many passages that state this. Let me just Roll some of them out for you. You can read them later. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 3 and 4. Ezra chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 13, verses 23 to 27. Malachi chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 to 16. Read the story of Solomon. As soon as he started marrying wives who worshipped other gods, it wrecked his life because they started to influence him to worship gods apart from the only God. This chapter itself is absolutely clear. So what does Abraham do? Listen to me carefully. 
he goes to tremendous effort, tremendous effort to follow God's crystal clear direction. He gets his right-hand man to collect 10 camels, many servants, all kinds of costly goods, and they go on a journey. We're not exactly how, we don't know exactly how far, but I know this, it's hundreds of miles slash kilometers. It's a journey that it would have taken a minimum one way of two weeks, but as much as six weeks to go on. Very dangerous. You just didn't do stuff like that back then unless it was very, very important. He spares no expense. He spares no effort in obeying God's word about who to marry. Think about that. No expense, no amount of effort to follow God's direction. Why does God say a believer should only marry a believer? Again, I say to you, He wants what's best for you. There's absolutely no guarantee in human relationships, but God says this is the best possibility, the best foundational launching point for a healthy relationship. You cannot control that other person, but this is the best foundation. There's numerous reasons for why he says this. This passage illustrates one of them extremely clearly. This guy shows up with this entourage. They tell the story of what God has all done. And then he says to these guys, hey, boys, can we take your daughter hundreds of miles away? You'll never see her again to go and marry some guy you have no idea about. What would typically happen at that point? The dad and the brothers would say, Emma, get my shotgun. But when they hear the story of the God of the Bible directing this activity, they say, absolutely yes. This is from God. If Abraham had gone to the Canaanites, the people who worshipped other gods, which would have been so much more convenient, which would have been so much more easy, which would have cost so much less effort and money. Here's what they would have said, something like this. They would have heard the story, and they would have said, interesting. Now, who's this God you're talking about? Because we've got our own gods. We worship these other gods, and we do it fundamentally differently. We've never heard of this God of yours. By the way, their primary interest would have been, and how much, what, what kind of gifts do you have loaded on that camel train there? That's what we're really interested in much more so than the story of God's work in this situation. Here is the principle. Christians and pre-Christians, and even if the pre-Christian is a wonderful person, and many of them are, they really are. Sometimes there are a lot nicer people than the Christians I know. But Christians and pre-Christians operate from a fundamentally different set of values. For the Bible says that for a believer, God is to be first, number one, number uno, bar none in their life. For the pre-Christian, something else is first in their life. Usually it's themselves. If you have conflicting values 
and principles upon which a life is lived when it comes to making all the important life decisions that we go through, there will be conflict, two conflicting values. When it comes, for example, to how the kids are going to be raised, different set of values, conflict. When it comes to determining how the money and the resources should be invested in life, conflict. When it comes to how the time should be invested, how you spend your life, how you serve, all of those things, conflict. This will mean that when these decisions are being made, one or both of the parties will have to make inappropriate, wrong compromises on matters of principle. I'm not talking about things that we can healthily compromise about. I'm talking about compromising where you shouldn't compromise on matters of principle. And it's unfair to the Christian and the pre-Christian. Even if the Christian gets to follow the tenets of scripture, that's unfair to the pre-Christian because that's not their value system. And this is why God insists, insists, Christians must be spiritually compatible. Let me go a step further. Why not? I've already gone this far. In that culture, they didn't date or be in any kind of a romantic relationship like we would understand it, arranged marriages. But for us, dating or a romantic relationship is the means by which we use to help determine who we're going to marry. So God says, absolutely, I do not want a believer to marry an unbeliever. It logically follows then that a believer should not date or be romantically involved with an unbeliever. Now, what I often hear when I bring something like this up is they'll say stuff like this. Well, I'm just going to date them. I'm going to be in a relationship with them. But as a believer, I would never marry them. And I'll say to them, Maybe. That's a big maybe. And maybe that's what you're thinking right now. But the nature of dating, the nature of a romantic relationship is that it progresses. And as the relationship deepens, you begin to fall seriously in like, and then later you fall seriously in love. And then all of a sudden, and I've seen this many times, I'm a special case. And the human being is able to rationalize any activity when it's something they really want to do, even though they know they shouldn't. But let's say someone else is super strong, and they go, I won't marry that that unbeliever under any circumstances. I'm just going to date them. I'm just going to be in a romantic relationship with them, but no way I would ever marry them. What you're doing when you say that is you're using that person. You're leading them on. Because everyone in our culture knows that's the direction in which that's heading. And if you have no intention of ever marrying them, I'm going to suggest you're using them. And that's wrong. This is why the relationship, if you have no intention of ever marrying them, should be at a friendship level only. Strictly and completely platonic. Now, let's say as a believer, you went ahead 
and married someone that God said you shouldn't marry. You married a pre-Christian, an unbeliever. Is all hope lost? No. We serve a grace-filled God, a God that can forgive us when we sin. Now, there will be consequences that will attach, and they can be quite severe. But God can still come along and touch a life. God can come along and change a life. And he talks about how to do this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. Now, I want to throw one more in for free, just because I've gone this far, so let's keep going. Sometimes people, when they're dating, they'll say, well, how far should we go in terms of expressing ourselves physically? What does the Bible say? Once again, God wants what's best for you. And he knows what's best for you much better than you do, or me. He says absolutely clearly, it is sinful to have sex outside or before marriage between one man and one woman. Crystal clear. Crystal clear. And so if 10 is sexual intercourse and one is holding hands, I find it interesting, and here's a bit of an indirect comment from Scripture. As Rebecca is approaching the camp after their two to six week journey, she hears that Isaac is coming. What does she do? She puts a veil across her face. So you're going, Scott, are you telling me that I got to put a veil across my face when I see my boyfriend? No, this is a cultural thing. But the idea indirectly is have a conservative approach to these things for men and for women. In other places of scripture, it says, avoid the appearance of evil. So be careful about expressing the physical. I would encourage you to err on the side of caution. And if 10 is sexual intercourse and one is holding hands, it makes the most sense to be as close to one as you can. That one was for free. You want to know God's will in a particular area of your life. And in this particular passage that talks about who we would marry, the key question is, am I willing to obey God's will when I find it? Don't ask for something that's clearly not his will. It says in James 4.3, don't ask with wrong motives or with a selfish agenda because the answer from God will be a hard no. Prayer is all important in making the decision. It's absolutely certain from the context that Abraham was praying beforehand. This is why he's able to give the prophetic word. In verse 12, the servant of Abraham is praying about who he is to approach before his prayer is even finished. He was probably a long-winded prayer like me. Before it's even finished in verse 15, Rebecca is in his vision and coming towards him. God answers the prayer before he's even finished praying. Notice how specific the prayer was. We often pray in vague ways. Divine appointments come when we pray scripturally, when we pray in a spirit-led manner, when we pray specifically, and when we pray boldly in faith. 
And so let me just say to the moms, to the dads, to the grandpas, to the grandmas, to the aunts and to the uncles that are here, are you praying for your kids, your grandkids, your nieces and nephews about who they should marry and if they should marry? You have a huge responsibility to do this. If you are a child here, if you're not in kid zone, if you're a teenager, if you're a young adult, are you praying about this? After the decision to surrender your life to Jesus, number two decision in life is who you marry. I've told you this story many years ago. I tell it again. Years ago, Debbie's parents always taught her to pray about who she would marry. And they prayed fervently for who she would marry and if she should marry. And after we were married, we reflected on this. And there was two times, two seasons, when there was really specific, ongoing, long-term prayer in the Ulrichson family, of which Debbie comes from. Do you know when those times were? We checked it out. The first time, there was two times, The first time was the year that every member of my family gave their life to Christ. See, this is the kind of God we serve. The second time was when I was 16 years old and all kinds of things happened and I committed my life to Christ in terms of full-time ministry when I was called into ministry. God can do these kinds of things. He is a supernatural God. Read the story. God is often working on both sides of the issue when we pray. And so God is preparing Rebecca's heart. And sometimes we're praying about God's will. And it's said in Psalm 37, wait for his answer. Well, your heart might be in the right place, but the person or whatever the circumstances are on the other side of the issue, maybe they're not ready. And so God is saying, wait, so I can get all this stuff lined up and in place. God does not invade our will. Even though the family said yes, even though it's abundantly clear God has done this, Rebecca still had a say in it. It says in 58, as she hears the story, she goes, I'm all in. This is a woman of incredible courage, a woman of deep trust and relationship with God. Yeah, I'll go hundreds of miles to a place I've never been. I'll never see any of you again, but I trust God. There are so many lessons in this passage and in this family lineage that's being passed back and forth together. Are we willing to let God lead us in this and all the other life decisions we face? He says, if we've chosen wrong, and for some reason there's problems, or if there's a divorce or something else or whatever, he can bring healing. Yeah, there's consequences, but he can bring healing. He can bring forgiveness if we've made sinful choices. 
So I'm going to invite all of us to close our eyes and bow our heads. And if you're at home, do the same thing. And I'm just going to give you some silent prayer time just to reflect on this. Is God saying anything to me about any area of my life, decisions I'm facing or decisions I've made in the past? Is he speaking to me specifically about anything in light of this passage? I'm going to give you a minute and then I'll say amen when we're done. Thank you that you always want what's best for us, Lord. Even when we don't understand it. Even when it's hard. Even when we can't see the beginning from the end, we know that you do. And we trust this about you. And we're so grateful that you care enough about us to correct us and change directions in our life and bring us to a place of brokenness and openness to whatever you would have. Wow, you're a good God. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.